0: Welcome to another episode of Silk and Steel. Today is March 15th, 2019. And this is your host, Carl Zha. Today we have a very special guest all the way from Chicago, yes? Yes, Chicago. Uh, Yes, so we have none other than the English translator for the Karl Marx anime that China has made. And which is now available on YouTube, Um, I see it has more than a few thousand or tens of thousands of views. And it's all thanks to you, Mr. Sunfei Yang. Did I say your name correctly? Yes, that's correct. Um, Okay, so Mr. Sun, um, actually, I found out about you initially on Facebook because you, you post a lot on Facebook, and you have a very funny meme page. Uh, may I introduce the uh, name of the meme page? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, what,
1: what's it called? And So, uh, the, the page is called President Xi, please delete this account. Um, you know, it's, it's not just me, by the way. We, we have a whole team of, of moderators there that post. Um, I actually just joined this page late January, but you know it's it's also been a lot of fun we've been posting the translations of the Marx anime there um so yeah you know please please give us uh you know stop by and visit I, I promise we post a lot of fun things and interesting things there um and what what's kind of stuff do you post on the, that meme page so i think there is a definitely a China focus there. There's a lot of China related news, but it's um, it's a little bit more international than that. We also post, you know, general, uh, I, I would say Marxist-Leninist related uh, things across the globe, including Venezuela, also the Middle East. Uh, you know, so it is a pretty broad scope. Although I would say most of the posts do relate to China.
0: Okay, so now I'm before we get into the China-made Marx. Karl Marx anime. I'd like to ask a little bit about yourself, uh, your background. What um, you know? What what got you interested? <laughs> I mean, in China, you are obviously you know Chinese American. Where you grew up here? Did, when did you come to this country? Sure. So uh, I'd
1: say my my experience is a little atypical for most Chinese Americans. So I came here before I was one. I was only about ten months old. Um, I, I grew up between Chicago and Kansas City, and um, you know most of my schooling, like primary education was in Kansas City and not a lot of other Chinese people around. But uh, I had a lot of exposure to Chinese culture really through my dad, Uh, he traveled to China often, he would bring back these like, um, they're called Xiaorenshu, but like little books, um, serials from China, a
0: lot of TV shows. It's like comic books, right? I I mean, I just call them Chinese comic books, because that's kind of what they are. Yeah, like comic books, right. But much more
1: text heavy, like there's just one image, and then the text is all at the bottom, there are no speech bubbles or anything like that, so a little bit different. Uh, mostly, they're all on historical topics. Um, there's like uh, the Spring and Autumn period, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, uh, the Tru Han Contention. There's a you know a lot of a lot of history stuff. My dad's also into history as well, so he brought back a lot of these TV shows as well. So I was always interested in sort of Chinese history, Chinese culture uh, as a kid. It stayed with me, and in college, you know, one of my majors was East Asian languages and civilizations, and uh, I, I took a lot of generalist courses, but my main focus was ming and Qing literature and that was what my bachelor's thesis was on as well Um, i I don't work in that field anymore post-graduation but you know the interest has stayed with me so i you know i'm still reading a lot of books on that area and i try to
0: keep it up to date with um you know chinese news chinese politics as well i must say you like you say you are very atypical because uh, a lot of the chinese american kids i know that even the ones who came to this country when they're eight or nine years old, by the time they're in their 20s, they pretty much cannot speak Chinese anymore. (laughs) Many of my friends uh, are like that. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, just a function of my generation, because I'm a little bit older than you. Um, As we talked about a little bit earlier, I came uh, to this country in 1990, and uh, as a 13-year-old at that time, uh, you know, China was still very poor, uh, you know, most people, uh, even Chinese Americans they rather, probably not want to be associated with the old country. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, like a lot of, uh, Chinese, uh, parents, they don't even bother teaching their kids to speak Chinese because the pressure was really to assimilate, you know, to the American mainstream culture. Um, and a lot of the Chinese parents thought that, you know, the way to do that is to make them just uh, basically English speakers. Right. So I'm actually yeah. surprised that you've been basically brought up here all your life. Uh, <laughs> still, and, uh, So you are not only fluent, but you can read and write as well. Yes.
1: Yeah, read and write, and, um, you know, we, we did a lot of classical Chinese in, in college as well. So, um, you know, with older documents, you know, I it may be a little bit slower, but, you know, there is some level of proficiency there as well. So, you know, if we're ever discussing any older topics, there definitely is a little bit
0: easier for me than, um, you know. I must say I'm impressed because <laughs> I, I almost thought the uh, based reading from your Facebook, I... I thought you are similar age as me and maybe you also came to this country as a teenager so you already build up your you know Chinese fluency and understanding of Chinese culture uh, but the fact that you grew up here and and now knowing what I know I'm you know wow you know you you know your stuff um, so I think this is a good time to transition to talk about the Karl Marx anime that was made by China, uh, of which you are the main translator to make it available into English. Um, there's uh, right now all seven episodes has been made available and uploaded on YouTube, and you subtitle all of them. So f- first, let me say thank you <laughs> and great work. Uh, then uh, let me ask you how how did you even get into that? So, you know, I saw the news articles
1: uh, about this anime being released maybe back in December when it was first announced, um, and that was on the South China Morning Post, which is my daily hate read. You know, I, I think 80% of my posts are just links from them. You know, usually I d- vehemently disagree with their opinions, but they are one of the few English-language, you know, uh, Asia-centric news sites out there, So so I do read them every day. And, you know, I was like, hey, oh, you know, that's, that's kind of interesting. I'm not really into anime. I'm not really into cartoons. But, you know, it's, it's cool that they're doing that. And, and we had posted that news, you know, on our Facebook page. And there was a, quite a big response to that. There was a lot of people excited about it. And there were a lot of requests for, hey, you know, do you know if there's going to be English subtitles for this? Do you know if it will be available on YouTube? And, uh, you know, when it was first uploaded to YouTube, you know, I checked like the, the four or five channels that had it uploaded and, and no one had any subtitles. And, you know, I had some friends who, who asked about it and I was like, okay, well, I guess it's only 20 minutes. Um, I guess I could do it. It's not that difficult. So, you know, I took about like maybe it takes me about like maybe an hour, an hour and a half for each episode. So it wasn't that hard. But, you know, I'm really glad I did it. Uh, there's uh, there's now seven languages and subtitles available. At least for episode one, and those were done basically by taking the English subtitle file that I created, and then people would translate English into their language. So you know, we also have French, German, Portuguese, Russian, Spanish, even Turkish available, which you know I think is quite amazing. It's uh, it, it's a testament to how interested people are in the life of Karl Marx, which I I think is pretty cool.
0: I mean, I was surprised. I mean, initially when I first heard the news. Um, I thought, oh, my God, it's going to be like really cringy and really preachy, you know, like I'm expecting those kind of uh, like old style Chinese propaganda cartoon made for children, you know, like really preachy um, and really hollow and just just like. We, I I expect it to be a cringe fest, to be honest, <laughs> and and I have to admit admit I I was pleasantly surprised, you know. Granted, I didn't have high, very high expectations, um, and also I am a Chinese speaker, so I must say your English translation is excellent. Uh, I don't know how you did it, but it's you know great job. You were cranking them out like almost two days after they've been uploaded to YouTube. And, and as far as I can see, they're, they're I mean, they're perfect.
1: No, I, I'm glad you appreciate them. You know, it's uh translation is something that like we did a lot of in college. So, you know, it's and that's all like older stuff. That's stuff from, you know, 500 years ago. So, you know, a, a very recent anime production, like the dialogue there, nothing is, is really that difficult. And the nice part about translating this is a lot of the dialogue is just word for word from a lot of Karl Marx's writings. So, all you need to do is just find the English text for that. Find out what part of, you know, the the Communist Manifesto or, you know, Engels' Condition of the Working Class in England, and you just copy and paste that same section. So, you know, I was able to cheat a little bit there too. So, if you thought some of those phrases were very cleverly written, you know, that wasn't me. That was whoever translated Marx and Engels back then.
0: Uh, <coughs> that's funny because there was a guy. Uh, a professor uh, who tweeted about the Karl Marx anime, and one thing he complained about in his tweet was actually, "Oh, how could they, you know, try to fit this clumsy dialogue into this anime?" <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it's not very Baihua. It's not very colloquial. If I had to write it, I probably wouldn't have translated it that way. But you know, that's it's the accepted translation, and, and I felt it was appropriate to stick to that.
0: And also, I must say that uh, was that was faithful to the original material because a lot of the dialogue in the anime, to my surprise, actually came from um, either Marxist writing or you know, it's well, it was well documented, right? I mean, it's like they just didn't make it absolutely. up absolutely. Um, now, what? Um, so, this, I mean, this really speaks to the change in times because I remember when I came to United States in 1990. I mean, you know, <laughs> Marxism is is like dead, deader than dead. Um, and and to you know, like it's a totally different environment now. Um, <clears throat> again, you know, time has shifted. Back then. 1990, that was like collapse of Soviet Union, you know, the end of evil empire it was the time of Francis Fukuyama, right? The end of history. <laughs> oh, God, I hate that book. The time has really shifted. I, I'm surprised myself to see that shift. And and now there's a lot more young people, uh, you know, interested in Marxism and uh, at least, you know, like the uh, not opposed to it. Right. I mean, how did you, how did you came, you know, came into, you know, how, how, how did that spark your interest? How did you get into it?
1: So I, I think it's just a, a matter of practi- practical results. Um, the first time I went back to China was in 1998 and, and both of my grandparents, um, you know, live, live in pretty rural parts of China, like um, you can just tell by the place names. But, uh, you know, my paternal grandparents live in a village called Houtogou, and, um my maternal grandparents live in a place called Xialtianzhuang. Like, and for Chinese speakers, you just hear those names, and you can imme- you immediately picture like, that's got to be some really, really rural place uh, out there. And yeah. you know, it was it, it was very different from the United States when I first went back. And then, you know, I went back again in two thousand one. I went back again two thousand five, two thousand eight, and um, you know, two thousand twelve, and so and Every time I go back, you know, it's just amazing how fast things have changed. How fast places have developed. And that's not just Shanghai, Beijing, but even like, you know, little old Xiao Tianzhuang, Hou they've come a long way since 1998. And that that's just incredible to me. And, you know, when I was younger, I kind of just accepted like, oh, this is because, you know, China has opened up and reformed and they've just become capitalist, you know, and now they're getting rich too. But, you know, the more I read about it, the more I think about it, it's like, you know, that's why isn't that level of poverty reduction, that level of development happening in supposedly capitalist countries, you know, in and, and other places of the world, you know, why isn't India developing like China is? What is China doing different than, say, Indonesia or Brazil that, you know, has allowed them to have such a miraculous level and rate of poverty reduction? And, you know, digging into that, I think it's not, it's not quite as simple as just, oh, they became capitalists. So I, I think that's really what started it. Um, you know, there are other things.
0: I'd like to interject yeah, sure. for a second um, on the same topic because it's a very common refrain among, especially liberals yes. uh, in the United States, that oh, um, China developed because it's not because the, the, the effort of the uh, Chinese government, it's rather that the Chinese people were liberated from uh, the previous restrictions. So they were able to finally allow. To you know, exercise of freedom of uh, you know a capital offering a capitalist economy, right? And for me, that's just so—it's stupid, and it's such a widespread view. I don't even know where to stop. I try to combat it. Uh, you know, I put out a tweet: the Chinese have always known to be hardworking, right? It's not like the Chinese people of the nineteenth. Early 20th century were less hardworking than they are now, and what have that gotten them back then? You know, it was a, it was a horrible, horrible 150 years uh, since Opium War. People don't explain. Oh, okay, well, yeah, Chinese people are naturally enterprising, entrepreneurial. Was well, so what happened in those hundred fifty years? You know that that was.
1: No, I, I completely agree, and it's like you said, it's very widespread view. Like even. Even the Jacobin founder, like Bhaskar Sankar, he was on Twitter like a couple of weeks ago uh, crediting China's, you know, poverty reduction to neoliberalism, of all things, you know, and, and that is the founder of one of America's, you know, premier socialist magazines. So it just goes to show like how widespread like, this, this line of thought is in the United States. And it's just, it, it is pretty frustrating.
0: Yeah, I mean actually the lack of knowledge about China in general that infects across a political spectrum in the United States. Um a lot of the times when people are talking about China they're actually not talking about China. They're using China as a foil to talk about problems in the United States. And this is not it's not even a new modern phenomena. I mean I I I read uh John Fairbanks. <laughs> I read a uh, uh, older generation of China scholars, they all talk about this issue, you know, like a lot of the uh, old European literature, like even uh, people like Hegel, Max Vapor, right? And, And people use China as a foil, right? Like they're talking about the idea of China, you know, as opposed to What's going on in the west but they actually don't really have real first-hand knowledge of china (laughs) what they what what they're describing is a china that was constructed from stories being carried back by travelers uh much heavily embellished this this is like imaginary china right i I remember in 1990 when i first came to united states uh you know i was 13 so i'm always hungry for news from from the motherland, right? So I would just comb through all the newspapers for any kind of reporting on China. You know, like I, I used to deliver deliver New York Times when I was 15, so I have a chance to read uh, Nyt every every day. What I f- found was like, oh my god, the China they describe looks nothing like the China I just left. <laughs> I mean, like I don't know what China they're talking about, but that's not my live experience, and and that hasn't really changed that much since then. I must say, I mean, the the the, the reporting is a little bit. There's there's more reporting of China now, just because you know the, the China is more important in the world stage. So now you have more China reporting, you have more China reporters, and you even have more China reporters who have lived in China and even speak Chinese. But I must say, overall quality...
1: Yeah, I mean, like James Palmer speaks Chinese, you know, but but what has that done for his quality of reporting, right? Like, it's, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. So.
0: But yeah, I mean, I think one of the problem is um, they cater to what people like to hear right i mean you have gordon chan right who has <laughs> who has wrote about the coming collapse of china in 2001 and but well, you got to feel bad
1: for Gordon Chang. Like you saw his video on CBC, right? And he talked about how he always get bullied and picked on as a kid for being half Chinese. So you know, I feel like there's a lot of internalized self hate there. So I can't help but feel a little bit bad for him. You know, versus say like James Palmer. But yeah, he's he's such a clown.
0: Yeah, I, I don't because guess what? It, it, that was like half, over half a century ago. I mean, it's like true, yeah. <laughs> what happened? I mean, sure, yeah, I feel bad. He was bullied as a kid, but come on, he's He's, he's like, what, 50, 60 now? He's, he, 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 he should have known better. And th- that's no excuse for what he's uh, doing because he's like basically shelling for the, for the neoconservative foreign policy nowadays. I mean, he, he now he's a f- North Korean expert. And as far as I know, he doesn't speak a, a word of Korean. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how he made that transition just because he's, his dad is Chinese somehow. He must be an expert on Korea. I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe that's good enough for the mainstream audience. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's still, he's still being like uh, quoted as a China expert in a lot of the, A lot of the American media, I mean, it's just amazing to me. This guy has been wrong for how many years? I mean, since 2001, right? That's when his book, uh, Coming Class of China, came out. Now we're in 2019, and this guy is still being fitted as a China expert. Uh, In fact, I I quoted, um, I, I tweeted out, a few days ago, that uh, he was interviewed by Breitbart <laughs> of all publications. Oh yeah, and and in it he says, "Oh yeah, China's growing power poses an existential threat to the United States." I'm like, dude, you, just a couple of years ago, you were saying China is still collapsing. You know, <laughs> you, what the hell? I mean, like it, it's just amazing. Like China can be simultaneously collapsing and yet, like. Posing existential threat to United States. I mean, like, like, and I think that's, you know, that's really why I I post so much. It, It
1: started with me just, you know, we used to subscribe to The Economist. We don't anymore. But I used to read their articles and it would always just be so frustrating. Like, whatever China does, they'll always find the negative angle on it. Like a post I shared yesterday from CNBC. They said, well, you know, actually China's pollution fighting that they did last year is actually masking how bad their economy really is right so you you remember a couple of years ago when there's really bad smog in Beijing all the articles they had about the air pollution there so look the people obviously cared about that the Chinese government responded and, and now that's being spun as well this is actually just a very clever way to hide poor economic performance because of you know the trade war or something so it's It's just silly because no one actually bothers to call them out on this, right? There are so many articles on China every day. There's
0: just impossible to keep track of all the different lines. So, you know, they get away with it because... Speaking of which, um, you know, like of a very recent happening is a Christchurch shooting in New Zealand, right? It was carried out by a white Australian racist fascist who self-declare as such... And I think in one of the statement he issued was that, uh, "Oh, I I closely identify with the political and social values of People's Republic of China, right?" And that was kind of picked up by a lot of uh, liberals and and you know <laughs> conservatives and all the all the ghouls uh, on the meet in the media saying, "Oh, look, look." Uh, China, of course, you know, China's uh, matches, his, it was his dream state. And I'm, I'm shaking my head here because, look, I don't know if this guy has ever spent a day in China, right? Like, what, he, what does he know about China? What, what he does know about China is mostly probably being spoon-fed to him by all the reporting in Western media. And I mean, right now, the Western media is helping on portraying China as a fascist dictatorship. <laughs> and they apparently did a great job uh, brainwashing people into thinking that. And and, and wow, is that surprising a, a, a self-declared fascist would identify with what Western media paints as a fascist dictatorship? I mean, come on, like this is not a uh, like. Like again, it goes back to what we talk about, right? It's never really about China itself. It's about people's own perception, their their ideas of China. That exists only as an imagination, and and that's one of the reasons also I start this podcast because I, like you said, I feel like uh, there's very few uh, knowledgeable and and uh, just non-biased <laughs> source out there, uh, it, it's, it's getting, especially now because as China became more prominent in the, in the, in the world stage and and currently U.S. government is, uh, especially people, certain people in the U.S. government, the, the national security wing of U.S. government is hell bending on starting Cold War 2.0 with China, um, Right. I mean, that, that ties into with all this reporting on Huawei, uh, supposedly the China hackers threat um, and, and the, the how the Chinese surveillance state is going <laughs> to doom us all. I mean, basically, you know, South China Sea is just too far remote for most Americans. Right. Well, what what do the most American care about? They care about their privacy. Okay, let's talk about chi- Chinese hackers. Let's about let's talk about the <laughs> Chinese spies. Right. I mean, God. I mean, even like uh, it got to the point where, uh, you know, you have the you have the director of FBI saying China pose a whole society threat. Right. Now they're talking about. Um, you know, like how Chinese students inside United States are potential, like fifth column, you know, potential spies for the Chinese government, and I'm just flabbergasted because that that hits home because my parents came to United States as students. My dad came here uh, to pursue his PhD in electrical engineering, right? And and now they that was like back in the eighties, and and now they're saying basically anyone who has uh, you know Chinese heritage is a potential spy, right? We, we're getting to that. I'm, I'm surprised actually how quickly, you know, we're getting to that level of debate. But yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that you have that very funny meme page <laughs> to fight all these disinformation <laughs> and fake news. Um, but let's get back to uh, Karl Marx's anime because... Uh, uh, yeah, you know, I'm sure uh, that's what a lot of people would like to hear more about. Um, I, I'm I'm personally really surprised about the interest uh, in Marx, um, Karl Marx anime. You know, like in the beginning, I chalk it off as, uh, uh, you know, probably another clumsy attempt by the Chinese propaganda department. And and let's face it, it was aimed mostly at the uh, you know the domestic audience, the Chinese youth oh 100
1: domestic like they didn't even bother to put out subtitles right and you know it was very much meant to be a domestic production they had i don't think they had the intention of internationalizing it you know which is which is why i really had to take the initiative here right like too bad i'm gonna i'm gonna
0: make sure everyone
1: sees you know your propaganda
0: right (laughs) i mean no thank it's great it's great i mean like i'm actually first i'm surprised that um the anime didn't suck as (laughs) I expected to (laughs) because I actually enjoyed it. Uh, You know, like the, um, I know people complain about the graphics, kind of the shaky CGI. I get that. I get that. You know, I, but again, I, I watch, uh, I didn't go watch a Karl Marx anime, from China for, you know, <laughs> for its amazing, uh, amazing graphics. I think it was probably a, a, a function of like their, their timeline, their short timeline and the budget. Um, there, you know, there was, I, after everybody talked about it, I did notice the kind of, there was kind of shaky transition from the 2G to 3, uh, 2D and to 3D animation.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, and, and I looked into this, too. So if you look at the end credits you know, there are two studios involved. There's, like, Dong Tang, and there's, like, Wawa Yu or something. And they also worked with, um, like, Inner Mongolia Film Bureau, which is based in, like, um, I I don't know if it's in, like, Hua or somewhere, but, you know, it's like a – it's an Inner Mongolia-based film studio, which I thought was pretty odd because that's it's definitely not a Tier 1 city. So, you know, they, there are a lot of people involved – and i'm sure like the quality of animation is just not probably not on par with like you know the major japanese studios at right now so all those things considered you know it's i think it's fine i'm by no means an anime aficionado but and i also admit i was watching this in like 10 second segments staring at the subtitles so i don't think i might have picked up on a lot of this animation issues as other people have but yeah it's um look if it really bothers you you know that's I guess that's understandable, but I, I agree. I think most people watching it aren't watching it, you know, for for the animation.
0: Um, that's the amazing part is that how you know how many people were excited about it outside of China. Uh, that that's something I did not expect. Uh, the the level of interest pouring in, and and I must say I'm glad that um, overall they didn't do a too bad of a job with the anime because. Uh, it's mostly pre- pretty faithful to the original material um and let's face it it was aimed at the youth uh, segment market so you what you know we're not gonna get some like super deep um you know penetrating analysis of marxism but overall it does, do a good job to like an introduction to Marx's uh, Karl Marx's personal life, uh, and and you know, just just the history of it. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's a it's a very it makes it very accessible. Especially that scene in which Marx is uh, explaining surplus value um, to to the kid at the library. You know, I thought that was a a pretty good breakdown and overview of like you know what Marx is trying to outline in, in Capital. And um, yeah, overall, it, it took a lot of Marx's like very dry writings and, and condensed them down into you know some of the key principles there. And I, I think they did a very good job there. They they clearly did their research. You know, they shout out a lot of Marx's deep cuts, like his his essay on Greek materialism and Prometheus, right? Like that's that's not something that you would necessarily cover even like in a college level you know class on Marxism. I think some of that stuff is definitely a little bit obscure. Um, but, you know, they they managed to call that out in this too, which I, I think is pretty impressive.
0: I think that it's a it's a function of the anime being sponsored by the Chinese Communist Party School. Um, and so a lot of the you know, that's what they do, right? They, <laughs> their, their whole ex- function was to study Marxism. So they, they know their uh, their source material pretty well. And uh, you know, this, a lot of people in the West don't know about this, but actually, the Chinese Communist Party School is known for a place where, um, like, people get to say the darnest things. Because <laughs> uh, this is like one of the paradoxes in China. Uh, like, you, uh, it's a, the it's a communist. So, the Communist Party School in China are schools that's that's. Um, Basically, used for training of the communist cadres. So all the cadres have to go to the communist party school to get their, uh, you know, you you know the, the basic Marxist theory and stuff like that. Um, so you you basically have all these uh, academics, eggheads who whose uh, sole purpose is to study Marxism. But they surprisingly, uh, you know, get to discuss a lot of stuff. Like this is what surprised me about the anime itself because you know people actually brought up about this about the anime because a lot of um, um, things that were talked about in the anime like exploitation of labor um, the and 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 uh, and even even the, the censorship even the government censorship all these things exist in in China today Right, and and one of the fun things for me was uh, watching uh, the Marx anime on B- uh, Bilibili, uh, the, the the Chinese uh, video sharing platform that's that's very popular with the young. And one of the features of Bilibili is they have this uh, scrolling comment screen, so allow people to comment in real time as they watch it. And and you know the one the fun thing about watching. Videos on Billy Billy is you get to see what other people are saying, uh, in know each each scene of the anime, and 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 I, I I must say I got a great kick out of it. I actually did a whole Twitter thread on this, um, you know, like people were saying the darnest things. Like there, there was a, a scene where uh, Marx, when they opened a, a newspaper in Germany, and uh, the. The gov- local government is threatening to close, uh, shut them down, and actually the local police came into the to the newspaper's office. They had a confrontation, scene of confrontation where um, I guess the head of the police or the soldier they threatened to pull out their gun, and uh, at this point, you know the the Chinese uh, some Chinese commentators were saying shoot him shoot him shoot marx so i don't have to study like you know two years of this marxist theory stuff yeah. <laughs> and, and like like uh and, but there was a, another guy commenting soon after that he's like oh you idiot you think shooting marx means you don't have to study uh, his theories it just means you have to study hegel yeah <laughs> I, I mean, like there, there were even there was like more stuff like that. Uh, I mean, like there was a part where um, when they're about to shut down the newspaper, and the you know, and the 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 Chinese commenter made some uh, reference to the Peking University Marxist Society, right? You you hear about you heard about the U.S. the Peking University Marxist. Student society, right? They tried to uh, apparently try to organize workers in uh, in southern China in Guangzhou somewhere, and and they got busted by the authorities, and uh, uh, and the, the <laughs> so in the in the comment screens, the, the Chinese uh, commenters, oh my god, this is just like the, the shutting down of the of the Peking uh, University Marxist uh, student society. What do you what do you think about that? By the way, I, I like your take on it. The the Marcus, Marxist society. Well, I mean the the fact that um, about the, okay. So let me let me uh, put this in context, right? So so right now, a lot of people there. There it's a common reframe that China, modern China, is a fascist dictatorship. Right? Some some people even call it the, the Nazi Germany, right? And, and these people are basically idiots, you know. <laughs> China is nothing like that. But having said that, um, there are some superficial similarities between China and Prussia. I'm I'm, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about the Nazi Germany. I'm talking about the first German Empire, you know, under Bismarck and under the Kaiser, right? I mean, I mean, there there are definitely some. Super, I say superficial uh, similarity because, of course, there's a huge wide uh, gap of cultural difference that's separating the two. But in, in terms of uh, suppression of dissent and in terms of uh, development, you know, Germany uh, in the late 19th century was all, also a latecomer to industrialization. But after German unification, uh, Germany was very quickly catching up to the previous world hegemon that was uh, Great Britain and which, you know, made, made Great Britain felt threatened. And that was kind of the underlying um, threat that eventually led to World War One. Uh, like, like right now, we kind of have a similar dynamic going on between a rising China and also the current world hegemon United States that's feeling very uneasy and about uh, the challenge posed by China. And also about Germany is that, you know, Prussia was an authoritarian state, right? On one hand, there are some progressive policies by Bismarck, for example, he implemented uh, uh, a universal welfare system and they instituted uh, mandatory uh, education.
1: Yeah, you know, and,
0: and Marx wrote an essay about
1: these programs too, right? Critique of the Gotha program. So, uh yeah, it's um okay, so I think there are a couple of topics here. Um we can we can talk about like the Peking Uni case uh specifically later, but I do want to talk more generally about, you know, the the Billy Billy comments. And I think look, you know, people people say that there's so much censorship in China and that there's just no room for dissenting opinions. Well, I mean, the comments are the fact that, you know, people are expressing these things, they know what's going on. They know that there is also still exploitation in China, that there are, you know, bad working conditions there, that there are corrupt landlords, uh, corrupt bosses. They know these things are going on. I mean, there's like about, There's been, uh, I think, like some 6,000 strikes in China in the last couple of years, probably even more than that. So, you know, people are aware of these things are going on and you see them express them not just on like these comments, but also on Weibo as well. Like, yeah, you know, sometimes a topic gets too trending, the government will, you know, delete it, but it's still there. People are aware of these things. And, you know, the anime...
0: On the same, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, you know, like... A lot of people in the West, they just assume, uh, you know, all the point 3. three billion Chinese are all these brainwashed robots, right? They just... Just regurgitate the government (laughs) propaganda lines. And I know that's true. One, because I have lived in China for 13 years. And two, I still participate in the Chinese social media, both in Weibo and WeChat. And I, like I, like you say, I, I know what people say about their government. And I know that people criticize, continue to criticize their government and that people know what's going on, you know, in China very quickly, especially in today's like age of social media. Oh, yeah. And smartphone everywhere. And a, a lot of times, I mean, this, this is the feeling I still have today, ever since I came to United in 1990. I mean, people in China are more aware of what's going on in China and the outside world than, say, United States, uh, people in the U.S. know about China. Or In terms of world events, definitely, I think the, the educated Chinese elite are more aware than, say, the the similar class of people of class a similar class background in the United States. Uh, you know, like usually there's always a kind of smug assumption um, uh, uh, on the side of, say, say, say the, the the American liberals that you know uh, <laughs> they're the ones who know best. But but it, it's really not true. <laughs> it's really really not true. Okay, go ahead. Back to you.
1: Oh yeah, and. You know, these, the the speed at which news spreads in China, like, it means that the government also takes action much faster, too. Like, something like Flint, if you imagine that happening in China, like, how fast there would be a resolution to that. Like, um, you know, what, a few days ago, it broke that uh, in, like, Chengdu, uh, number seven experimental school, that the, the food vendor there was providing, like, moldy food to the kids. Immediately, you know, in a massive protest... People figured out who the vendor was. People figured out what other schools this vendor is providing food for. You know, I'm sure those people are in trouble. Like, some people are going to face a lot of jail time for that, right? And I'm sure that vendor is done doing business, like, probably in China. Forever, oh, yeah.
0: Right? Like, and that's just... they already... Uh, so, so I have seen on Chinese social media, they're, they're already... Uh, someone took a shot of people taking down the, the, the company signs. I mean, they're, they're, they're done. That, that 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 company's
1: done so like it's it's actually a very responsive government to you know things like that and in some cases the local government will do something really stupid they'll try to like squelch the protest they'll try to like cover it up but you know it, it's just never successful because like corrupt local officials once it gets up high enough once like you know uh the the central government figures out what's going on it's always the local government that's going to take the fall for this right like they have no usually they have no vested interest in, in protecting local corrupt officials like hey you know what are you doing you're causing all this trouble and it's just for like some petty corruption thing like yeah they're they're gonna get in trouble like local officials found that it it's very difficult to cover up like your your abuses or or things like that that happen so and i
0: have to point out that censorship do exist so in- In the case of Chengdu uh, experimental, number seven experimental school, there was so the videos, there were videos floating around on Chinese social media of basically the cops uh, cracking down on the student parents' protest. And, you know, some of the parents got papers, got pepper sprayed by the cops. Right. I mean, like that, that video was very quickly taken down on Weibo. I mean, it's still circulating on WeChat because, you know, that's how I got them. And <laughs> that's how how I get to post them on Twitter. And now, you know, some some people are, are uh, complaining in my on, under my Twitter comments. They say, oh, why do you why do you post, post this? You know, like people people are just going to use this to attack, uh, attack the Chinese government.
1: Well, yeah, and, and that's exactly why the Chinese government takes them down, right? Look, like, they have to resolve this situation, and they will. But, you know, that's exactly what they're thinking about the video, too. Like, hey, who is, is this going to be used by? And so, you know, they're they're going to take it down. Um, but, yeah, it, you know, it's out there, and, and I'm sure they understand that, you know, the, the Internet is more or less forever. You, you can't delete those videos. They're still going to be around. All they're doing is just kind of controlling, like, I guess – the maximum circulation of it right like it's still going to be known especially for the people involved but you know it's a if it's a citron issue they would like to keep it contained to citron yes 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 keep it a
0: local issue because um like weibo is function more like twitter and i what i noticed through my participation in weibo is this the the crackdown on weibo is a lot more uh stringent like they they, they're very quickly to, uh, you know, to put a kibosh on any kind of viral videos that would be perceived to cause any, to have any, like, negative um, feedbacks. Uh, but, but at the same time, you know, in WeChat, which is just a messaging tool, um, I don't know how to describe WeChat, because <laughs> really we don't have, it's kind of like WhatsApp, basically, uh, but with more features. So the but on WeChat, it's those videos still exist, right? People are still passing passing the videos around. Uh, but but because in WeChat, it's small friend search chat circles, right? Like you you may be passing around in a group of hundreds or like a couple hundreds. Uh, it's not like like um, it's not like Weibo. Weibo you you post it out, you know, you can go go viral in like minutes, and then. Um, there was a case where, um, a, a famous, um, famous K-pop star, uh, a Chinese, he, he was, a he, he was Chinese, but he was part of a K-pop K-pop band. Um, what's his name? Uh, it's like a really, um, he has a really fresh, boyish face. Uh, Luhan, right, Luhan. <laughs> Cause he's super popular in China. And he posted something on his personal Weibo that, that, oh, now I have a girlfriend, right? I mean, that thing got posted, like reposted millions of times, so, it's so much so you crashed the entire Weibo system for like 30 minutes. Uh, I mean, it was, it was just, it, it's just crazy. So, so like the Chinese government are very sensitive about Weibo because the, the information can travel very quickly. Uh, like they, they, on WeChat less so, um, so information still does get around. Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. But back to what we were talking about about the the superficial comparison between Prussia, um, you know, which is during the Karl Marx's time, and the modern day China, because uh, you know the argument can be made that both are authoritarian government, right? Uh, both the uh, government are trying to protect the capitalist class, right? And <laughs> they're trying to suppress dissent, right? I mean, like, not, so, you know, that we, there's a case, like we said, the, the, the Peking University Marxist uh, society, right? They try to, or so, so how China works is that China have this official, official union, right? They, they have the all China's worker union that um, had the backing of the government. Right, but but the, what China Chinese government looked down is, uh, you know, people to form like like uh, their own unions, <laughs> like outside of the China Workers Association uh, Federation. Um, and I think this is what what the Peking University Marxist Society got themselves involved with is is one such case. It went down to. Um, a factory in Guangdong, and, and they try to organize, and that somehow, you know, rub off the so, uh, uh, authorities the wrong way. Like you said, uh, like we we discussed, even the Chinese commenters on watching the Marx anime made the association, right? So, w- what is your take on that? So, um, yeah, uh, like. First of all, I, I
1: want to say that it's very hard not to be sympathetic uh, to the students in, in the original Peking Marxist uh, Society because, you know, as you know, there is a new Marxist Society at Beijing, and you know, there's a conflict between the old and the new. And you know, the old Marxist Society they did get off quite a few sick burns there, right? Because so we're we're going to descend into some Chinese puns here, but uh, the the short. Uh, contraction for Marxist society is ma hui, which also is like horse organization. And they started calling the new Marxist society the lu hui, like the deer society, which is a riff yes. on the zhi ma, or pointing yes. to a deer and calling it a horse, right? So basically they're calling the new one like a fake Marxist
0: society. Do you um, want to tell the new original story about pointing uh, uh, a deer calling a horse? So I... In very short
1: there was a corrupt official who was controlling the emperor and to see where people's loyalties lie he would bring he had a deer brought in front of all of them
0: and he would point to it and say hey this is a horse and he would ask these hold officials, on let me let me give it more modern context okay, So this, sure. was, this was uh the, the first dynasty that unified all china the qin dynasty right but immediately after the death of the first emperor who have uh, accomplished the task of unifying all China. Um, <laughs> the throne falls onto his uh, young son, and what? But what really was the power behind the throne is this very powerful eunuch Zhao Gao. And uh, Zhao Gao, one of the things he does is to um, he would do all these things to test people's loyalties to see if uh, you know he has he has absolute power over everyone. So one of the things he would do is he he, he he brought, he had people bringing a deer and he, in front of the emperor, he point the deer and call it a horse. And, you know, he, he just wait for people to respond. Basically, anyone who <laughs> is, just actually stood out and say, no, that's a, that's a you're full of shit, that's a deer they will you know <laughs> they will get purged right so of course people all you know try to go along with him and and call the deer a horse so, so this has become like a famous idiom calling a deer a horse is is like you obviously you are trying to um almost kind of shove something down people's throat, like by by pointing by by uh, like making up some obvious falsehood right does that does that uh Explanation yeah, work?
1: I think that's that's pretty clear. And that's what they're accusing like the new um you know, Peking University sponsored Marxist society of being, right? Of being a, a, a false Marxist society. And they do give quite a few good reasons. You know, like this group is the new group is much more focused on like academic study, you know, writing papers, dissertations, things like that, and they're a lot less involved with like, you know, the local workers. Um Peking University. They're, they're not going out, um, you know, not doing any activism. They're just very content to stay in their classroom and, you know, talk about high-minded Marxist concepts and, and writings. And And I think that all that is very fair because the, the old Marxist society, they had a pretty good record. Like they would say, hey, they would talk to the, um, you know, the janitorial staff at Peking University. They'd help them with small things, like, you know, even some small things like, you know, installing WeChat on their phones. Like that was one of the examples they give. So I think they are very fair to like criticize that. Um, So, but moving part away from that, that's not really the the real conflict here. It's more about what, why the original Peking Marxist Society got into trouble, and that's as you said, they came down south to Guangdong. And they decided to help you know workers at this uh company called Jasic. I actually forgot what they manufacture, but it's a manufacturer of some sort, and they were they were striking, and um you know they're helping with that protest and i think you pointed this out but you know one of the things that made their protest different is that they wanted to form an independent union one that's not affiliated with um you know acftu and um you know they want to form their own independent union and you know for for a multitude of reasons that's not something that's not allowed in china um you know the. The subject that's probably the most studied among, you know, senior members of the the Chinese Communist Party leadership is the fall of the Soviet Union. And I'm sure things like, you know, solidarity in Poland, which was one of those, quote unquote, independent trade unions, you know, is is definitely something that they remember very clearly that independent unions, you know, have been a tool for foreign governments in the past to exert influence and, you know, to to destabilize. A government like Solidarity, when it was first formed, it had what like 10 million members. Like the leader, he he talked about Margaret Thatcher. He's like, oh, I I really admire Margaret Thatcher, you know, for her great work. And this was like when Margaret Thatcher was cracking down on like striking Welsh coal miners. So, you know, there's there's definitely some history there with independent unions. There's a there's a a reason there why they don't allow that. And I also want to point out that this was also a pretty unique demand. Uh, By the Jasic workers, you know there there are strikes all the time in China. And looking through a couple of them that are posted by China Labor Bulletin, I don't think that it's a very common request. I'm not really sure, you know, why this was uh, brought up by the Jasic workers. You know, it it just could be my unfamiliarity with the situation. But I do know that they originally had a request with ACFTU to unionize that was at first accepted and then. You know the 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 acceptance was pulled for some reason, possibly to do with the protests. But um, you know, I, I would say that I think that demand is the reason for this crackdown. There are so many strikes in China, and most of them get resolved relatively peacefully. Um, and in many cases, like uh, the workers aren't even punished for like any damage that they may have caused. Like there's a, a fun case in 2009 in Jilin which is um, you know right next to, to my dad's home province, but there was a steel company that um, they laid off a ton of workers, and they were going to take it private. And this was kind of during that big steel glut, and, and the aftermath of the great, you know, global recession. And so the workers basically burst in to the executive's office, like they actually beat him to death. Um, and the police showed up, you know, like they like uh, they had some tussles with the workers, but you know, they interviewed one of the policemen, and he's like, "Well, you know, the the guy did." provoked them you know he did say he was going to fire them you know and no one ended up getting charged for that murder they uh they the government actually stepped in and stopped the privatization because they you know they they decided it was a bad idea so i do want to say that most strikes in china do get resolved um i think this one was unique in the response that the government had My hypothesis is because they specifically requested for an independent trade union. I don't know what their rationale was there. But, you know, that's um, given that context there, I I can see why that it had the response it did, you know, and um, I, I am very sympathetic to the students there. I think they absolutely, you know, the heart is in the right place. They they have the best intentions. And it yeah. wasn't just the students. There are a lot of old workers, you know, that had retired that came out in support of the workers and the students as well. You know, it's like um a lot of worker
0: student relationships built there too. So yeah. yeah, it's hard not to be sympathetic exactly. to these students because they're they're just young and idealistic. Um in many ways they kinda of remind me of the students Uh, In the 1980s, you know, in the lead up to the 1989 uh, Tiananmen Square student protests. I mean, there's actually uh, many people in the West actually don't understand about that, uh, (laughs) that the, the whole whole rationale behind the the student test in 1989. That concludes part one of our interview with Sun Fei Yang, English translator of Chinese Karl Marx anime. Stay tuned next week for part two of the interview where we talk in depth both about Karl Marx anime itself and Chinese politics. Or if you'd rather not wait a week Head over to my Patreon page. Just search for Silk and Steel Podcast in the Google search box. My Patreon page should either be the first or the second result. Or just head over to patreon.com. In the search box, type Silk. My page should be the first one in the result. I have posted the full episode for my subscribed patrons. For a monthly contribution of $5, you have full access to our premium content. You will always get the latest content first on the Patreon site. I hope you enjoy our show and I hope you subscribe. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.